Okay. Thank you. Welcome to the X1 at 2 Winter 2024 edition. We're so excited to be able to showcase the writers and artists tonight. Um, I'll go ahead and start sharing my screen. And I'm remembering that it is with my Google Chrome so that it will work. And let me know if everything is good. Can everyone see it? Hooray. All right. So first off is Heather here, Heather Holm. She here yet? Awesome. Wonderful. I'm going to have to be really strict, everyone. Yeah. We're at max two to three minutes just because we have so many presenters tonight. So if you get, I'm going to be at two minutes, I'll say two minutes. I'll like unmute myself. I'll be rude. Um, at three minutes, I'll say three minutes. <laughs> okay. Um, but next, first, we're going to do the cover reveal with artist Heather Holm. Heather, we'd love to hear a few minutes about if you want to share about your piece. Thank you. Of course. Um, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, perfect. Um, so there's kind of a funny story behind this painting. Um, so my husband and I went on our very first trip to Hawaii and we were on some country road and this is where this um, painting was taken from. But we were on this, um, we're going to this secret beach that we had, um, it was like the first beach that we were going to and we um, we're so excited and <laughs> we get there and it's a nudist beach. And so we, we like literally did not take that road to the, to the nudist beach, but it was just kind of a funny story. Um, and that's kind of where the, <laughs> this painting was taken from, but um, uh, so like it was part of a, um, a show that I did for Sundance and it was, this is titled Trek, but it was um uh, the whole show is just about um, just um, the fear and confusion that can some like enshroud our lives sometimes. And um, the whole point of the show was just to uh, it was to like you know look at it as an adventure rather than as adversity. So um, trying to figure out a mystery or a puzzle or just looking at it through the lens of, hey, this is fun. It's an adventure, even though it's hard, you know, sometimes it's, that's kind of the fun of it. So that was the idea behind that piece. Thank you so much, Heather. Really excited for everyone to get the physical copy. I forgot to share two really important things. One is the theme of this issue, and it's the road not taken. So that we, like, so this piece, we're like, ah, this is so good. Um, Thing two, Rachel usually has a beautiful way of explaining it. If someone says something tonight that you resonate with, please type it into the chat. It's a fun way to make it a little bit more interactive tonight. So if someone says a line that you're like, ooh, yeah, write yeah. it down. And then it's a fun way for after the person presents to be able to look back and be like, oh, yes, thank you. It's like reflect beautiful things back. Like, you know, we say so many things and then when we hear it mirrored back, sometimes it's really meaningful. So yeah, and just make it a little bit more interactive tonight. All right. tickle my throat okay next up is letter from the editor which is uh, me this time we take turns and i will time myself as well i'm just going to read a few paragraphs and shout out to rachel for thank you for always helping me write these pieces as well um but i had some fun thinking about this theme i'm gonna go to okay i'm just gonna share one paragraph from this letter from the editor our lives are filled with so many constraints for example, for a long time, I judged my mom for being only a cheerleader in high school. Only recently did I realize she didn't play other sports because there wasn't funding for girls' sports at that time. My coworker from the same generation as my mom admitted she would have played hockey if she could. Was her failure to play hockey lack of effort on her part? Uninspired laziness? Of course not. 
There are very real limitations for what she could do. There are real constraints for all of us, and we would be wise to bolster our past with our present compassion. Many of us grew up in a church that taught free agency and to choose the right, when in reality, there are so many impediments to real choice. I was socialized to make the best choices, and I agonized over them. I was taught that others made bad choices, and that's why their lives were bad. If our paths lead anywhere, let's hope it is toward empathy, compassion, and awareness of our powerlessness at times. Through this, we can find purpose and beauty as we learn acceptance, keep trying, and explore questions with curiosity as we grow. So that's my paragraph letter from the editor. More there, but just a reminder that we, um, as we're exploring these paths, we didn't take to also recognize the constraints as well. Okay, thank you. Um, so our first piece uh, is by Chanel Earl with a fiction piece. Go ahead, Chanel. Thank you, Caroline. Um, it's fun to be here to see all of your faces and those of you who aren't showing your faces. Um, I'll be real quick. I think I know I can do this in under two minutes. Um, just a little bit about the story. I normally write a lot of fairy tales. I love writing fairy tales. I love writing magical realism and fantasy and stories where where magical things happen. And this story really surprised me because it wasn't like that at all. This is just a story about middle age ennui. And <laughs> that's not something I'm used to writing about. Um, and it also really scared me because there were a couple of things that happened in the story, some some turns and some language and things that happened that I wasn't expecting. And so it was a scary piece. And it was a really different piece for me. But when I was finished with it, I really loved it. And I was afraid it would never find a home. <laughs> um, but I'm really happy that Exponent 2 has taken a chance on it. I'll read a really short section. Um, this is a mother and her children. And they've just left the park and they're headed to the temple. Um, just because the mom needs something. She doesn't even know. Um, she doesn't even know what she needs. Um, her, they've, they've just gotten to, to down to Salt Lake to the temple. Her kids were happy to leave the underground parking lot. Jill held Sophie and Oliver's hands while Emma pushed Jared and Sarah in the stroller, Henry beside them. Together, they walked out into the light. It was sweltering, maybe 95 degrees, and downtown, where everything was paved, it felt even hotter. Jill tried to put on an optimistic face, but regretted coming as soon as she saw the tall fence surrounding Temple Square. Oh, she said to her kids, right. The temple is under construction. How could she have forgotten? The construction started years ago. She knew about this. They had watched a video about it, had seen the plans to make the temple earthquake safe. It was going to take years to finish. And that's just one turn in the story that surprised me like many others. Thank you. Um, I'm excited to hear about the rest of your pieces. Thank you, Chanel. And Chanel's also recently joined us as our fiction uh, feature editor. So Ooh. welcome, Chanel. And um, yeah, and I don't, I don't see Paige yet or Rocio, but they're also on our staff. So keep an eye out for them. They're amazing. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to have more fiction in the magazine. Um, okay. So next up, we are going to hear from Megan Arne, who is the featured artist for this, this upcoming issue. Um, and Rocio interviewed her in the title, Invisible Labor Made Visible Through Paint. So Megan, go ahead when you're ready. Sure. Um, I think you said you had some images. Oh, I do. Yep. As well. Okay. Let me, if you're like, skip to the next one, I can go ahead. So just let me. Okay. Know Sounds good. Yeah. So uh, most of the work that is featured in the article I've made in the last two years or so while I was getting my graduate degree in painting. Um, and 
that made a big impact on my work because I was getting my degree while having two young kids. I started with a two-year-old and then I ended grad school with a four-year-old and a one and a half-year-old. Um, so I had my second child about halfway through grad school. Um, so the article just kind of talks about my start um, where I didn't really know what I should be making work about. Um, I was trying to kind of follow my peers' directions. None of them were married. None of them had kids. So my life and world was just totally different than anything they were experiencing. And I just found myself stuck in a rut. And what saved me was I just started making these little mono prints of baby foods that my first son ate when he was little. I kept a list of his first 100 foods and I just started turning them into shapes and giving them each a color and making paintings with them. And it took a lot of guts because it was so weird in my grad school critiques alongside all these other artists to be talking about sweet potatoes and oatmeal and breastfeeding. Um, but I ended up getting a lot of really good feedback that, I mean, luckily I ran into a lot of other um, visiting artists and a few professors that um, had kids and were mothers or just women who really cared about um, that experience um, and really supported me. So this painting has a couple of those shapes um, over the course of the last year of school, I started taking these different shapes and making patterns with them, um, combining them together to kind of represent just all the different um, aspects of not just motherhood, but just femininity in general, whether that be the female body, um, childbirth. But then I really started focusing in on that idea of invisible labor and what we as women, not just now, but throughout all of history, what we do on a daily basis, physical labor, but also the mental labor that just is gone unseen, um, and not rewarded, not paid. Um, yeah, so I think we can skip ahead. There's a few paintings that maybe touch on that. Yeah, this is another, um, painting that used one of those shapes, the shape of an egg. Um, it started as a, I wanted to make a painting about mom rage. And I just felt like I was spiraling out of control and having these emotions. Um, but then it ended up kind of turning into something that I'd, it almost looked like a, one of those woven braided rugs or a basket or, and just the idea of like all as a female, you have you're born with the same amount of eggs that you'll have your whole life, um, but then you lose them over time and they're used or they're lost. And so just kind of a piece that I felt like was connecting me with maybe women from my past, but also present and future and my own children. I'm so sorry we were out of time. And so we're going to like, I'll quickly show this one. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. So I'm sorry we're out of time. So you want like, I'll give you 15, 20 more No, seconds. just just go, okay. go through the rest of them. They're all really similar. The last couple, I think, are um, these paintings that I make of sleep charts, uh, keeping track of my family's sleep. Just one mm -hmm. other invisible thing that us moms and women are responsible for that takes up so much time. 
but yeah, I, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk a little bit. I knew I was going to go over. So thanks for uh, stopping me. But no, thank you. Meg. So honored excited to, to read the piece Have my work here. Yes. Thank you. Thank and you. someone else in the chat, what your medium is, this is painting. It's mostly oil paint. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Sleep charts. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Next up, we have Dana Patterson. Um, there's two poems. So the second one uh, is your other one, Dana. So when you're ready, thank you. Um, I was actually going to read the other one. Sorry, Caroline. If totally I... fine. I'll just skip two. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, I'm going to read one poem from the winter issue. This is Take Me Back to Her Tomato-Faced Shriek. Vernick smeared kick. Take me back to the sear of severing. My thighs quivering, harnessed wide apart like two mountain ranges, two tectonic plates diverging, spewing magma. Take me to her round red gasp, blood-streaked rage, whisked away to a first feast of sugar water in a bottle and not my breast. But how could I complain? My body volcanic, my womb a hurricane, my brain a wildfire, my limbs a flood. This was an act of body charged. Give me that lightning again. I'd save the placenta this time. An island oasis I grew for her alone. Bury its pearl luster under backyard plum, a spell for rooting her deep. I'd shuck shame this time, shed embarrassment like the rib-crushing girdle I peeled off after the wedding. And yes, two babies in two years, so-called Irish twins, and yes, shit smeared the delivery table as I pushed out a new galaxy. I'd relish all of it, scraped free of apologies like leeches. I would give her the middle name she was meant to have. My name, my mother's name, my grandmother's name. Let me birth journey once more from pomegranates rotund ripening to a six-hour tsunami crashing, then aftermath of wreckage tide-wrecked on shore, and sudden calm, holding her swaddled form, pink and blue stocking cap on her fuzz-brown head, monkey hands escaping their blanket bonds, pupils like indigo ice fishing holes, and how could I guess then that hormone shots and fertility pills, passionate sex and regular paychecks, intrauterine insemination, all of which had worked before, wouldn't work again. I took for granted my fruitfulness. Let me relive that one day to memorize the smell of her neck folds, whisper shush of her breaths, Exact hue and shadow of her eyes. Two glacial ravines. Two blue-veined crevasses. I'd fall in this time, knowing she'd be my last. Thank you. I haven't got through that without crying, so no surprise. No surprises. Thank you so much, Dana. So, so beautiful. I love getting to hear poets read their pieces. Oh, and getting to see the words too. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. 
Um, next up we have is Teresa Wellborn, our next poet. Are you here, Teresa? Are you muted? Let's so sorry. Oh, um, hi. It happens sometimes. I, You're good. Go ahead. Um, the genesis of this poem um, is in Las Vegas. As the title states, um, I was a fourth generation Las Vegan and my children are fifth. So we have, uh, I mean, for such a transient city, a misunderstood city, uh, that's considered pretty deep roots. Um, uh, so, and, and it's a city of uh, opposites. Um, there's the uh, LDS temple. The city was founded by uh, Mormons. There's the Mormon fort actually on the strip, which I don't think many people know. Um, it's a uh, north part of the strip. Uh, so um, you'll find this poem is uh, filled with lots of imagery and memories of my own childhood um, wrapped into kind of the aging of my parents. Um, so I'll just go ahead with that. Um, what I mean when I say Las Vegas after Jeffrey Davis. We had no dark leaves of longing. Instead, we held the Mojave, its sand singing through our fingers. Memories close enough to the sweet sage and mesquite, roadrunners lightning after a desert rain. I'm back among sand dunes, inside that small space, searching for talismans, fall a shrug away, and the sun at the window, scrying. Each bright sky of memory silvers, like pieces of a broken mirror, immediate again, encircled by amethyst mountains, remembered for their refusal to fall. If only I could settle on the patio of hope and understanding, near our swimming pool, lonely for children and heat. Just before the electric flash of summer thunderstorms, we have our places for solitude, that shawled want of the body. My mother stands at the ironing board, her heart no longer moving, and my father sits at the TV watching men fall and continents collide in neon light. He hates growing old. I want to gather the devotion of the past to crawl deep into my becoming. I see the girl now lifting her head in the half light. I see who she is becoming. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Next up, our next poet, Heidi Naylor. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for just the honor and the pleasure of being part of this mag beautiful magazine and issue. Um, my poem is called Bean Boozled in Sharing Time. Many of you are familiar with sharing time, which used to be a big feature of primary. And this describes... Uh, sharing time when a uh, bishopric member came in to give the presentation. And um, hopefully, if you are familiar at all with Harry Potter, you'll, you'll understand this. Bean boozled in sharing time. Stand up front with jelly beans, the chances of our choices. Stinky socks or tutti frutti, licorice or skunk spray. What will become of us is here in the building. Booger or juicy pear coconut or baby wipes, and nearly always stronger for two-factor identification, nuclear, intact, spilled out across the pews, moldy cheese or caramel apple, pretty peach or vomit barf. Picture the eaglet whose tree-lined nest is nearest the stench of the landfill, 
Think how the orphaned cub scavenges, bursting blisters of parasite gall. Nothing here is certain. So when Bethany, almost eight, draws rotten egg instead of buttered popcorn, remind her that the sodden rain has never owned the sky. Thank you, Heidi. Thank you. Our next poet, Emily Parker Updegraff, who's also our poetry editor. So thank you for all your work with that, Emily. Oh, you're welcome. I, I'm not the poetry editor. Oh, but... I'm so sorry I got you <laughs> mixed up. Like Emily, Emily did the Generations <laughs> feature for years. That's why your name is so familiar to me. I'm sorry. Generations, Emily. yes. Thank you yeah. for your work in the past. Them. You're thank an you. institution. <laughs> Thanks. Um, well, so thank you. I love the prompt for this issue. And I had heard that The Road Not Taken was written as a joke. Uh, Robert Frost wrote it as a joke to his friend, the poet Edward Thomas. They used to walk together and Thomas was sort of indecisive about which road they ought to take. So Robert Frost wrote that poem. Apparently, Edward Thomas was not very amused. He didn't think it was funny. Um, so I thought it would be fun to take this prompt and try to write a poem that was a little bit lighthearted. It's not laugh out loud funny, but I was trying to be a little funny, a little serious, because this poem started out as a joke, but now it's very serious. <laughs> but people take it very, very seriously. So I thought I would try to use the very same formal verse that Frost uses, you know, the same structure, the same four stanzas of five lines, the same rhyme structure of, you know, A, B, A, A, B, and thing um, about my life. So, um, Carol Ann, I don't know if you have the text in a slide. It's I, okay. I, I can don't. just read it. But, I don't. Okay. I'm sorry. Thank you. That's fine. That's fine. Sometimes it's nice to see it, but I will just read it. Okay. So the poem is The Hill Not Climbed. Half a lifetime ago, newly wed, we shopped for a new car, a white Mazda protege. The saleswoman led us from the lot to her office, said she would give us a loan that was right for our budget. We'd have low payments for that unsexy car, but it was no fun to drive. My husband could not be content with economy, for he had dreamt of more than basic transportation. We walked away, and although we couldn't afford it, bought a Volkswagen that cost a hundred more per month, he seemed at peace when they gave us the keys. Life is full of meaningless decisions. This wasn't one of them. The protege was not a fork in the road. It was a hill that we failed to climb. That day, I should have argued for my, my way. It might have spared us fights that followed. But I would have to have been someone different. And of course, the last line is my exception uh, to the form. Mm, thank you, Emily. So many layers. Love it. Okay, next up we have Emily F. Renshaw going to over to personal essays. Thank you, Emily. Great. 
great. So I also appreciated this prompt. Um, I am not a very strong writer and uh, writing is hard for me. And so I had no anticipation of putting this in for publication. Um, but I am in Iowa and Iowa is, uh, we're an agricultural state. We've lost 99.9% .9 of our native um, ecology and land to to egg. And so I find myself a lot in the liminal spaces in Iowa, these these just crevices of filled with biodiversity that are um, pieces of land that have no value in our system. And so I would like to read a paragraph of mine that takes you into one of these liminal spaces. As a child, our 350-acre Midwest farm was my playground. In the days between pretext sovereignty and the grasp of the digital era, like most kids in the 80s, I experienced unrestrained freedom to roam. My feet led me through deep glens with caves, bubbling streams, and thick timbers sheltering northeast Iowa's sacred Algythic talus slopes. The lay of the land was ingrained in my memory by following narrow deer paths, weaving through the otherwise impenetrable thickets of multi-floral multi rows deep in the ravines, in the mere half percent of the land, undesecrated by Iowa commercial agriculture, stood the century-old fir oaks, saved only by terrain too raw to plow. Here beneath the sprawling oaks, my young self felt a confidence and an awe found only in the solitude provided by nature. The soil soaked into my veins, flooding my heart with a sense of wonder and purpose. No matter where my feet led me, I was never lost, but like all childhoods, their feet are eventually washed and adequately shooed, and I was ushered to the pavement that would limit exploration and mold the woman I was to become. Thank you so much, Emily. Right. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's some fun. I live in Minnesota now, and so learning about the like drift, driftland, drift, what's it called? Driftless. Yeah. Driftless region of like where the uh, glaciers didn't flatten everything. And so just where there's hills and ravines and yes, so beautiful. And it's beautiful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Um, this is the uh, art that is paired with this piece. So Berkeley, when you're ready, go ahead. Awesome. Thank you. Um, I typed up a little description, I guess. So I'm just going to read from that. Um, okay. Crocheting takes me back to a time with my sisters when we were all still children and we learned how to do it together. Today, when I crochet, I feel connected to them, especially to my oldest sister. As I worked on this piece, I was reminded of their impact on my life and how they have been with me in my most exciting and my most mundane moments. Roads and Rose is a network of crocheted pieces that form paths I must have taken thousands of times with my sisters. Some of these paths no longer exist and others I only frequent now a couple of times a year. Uh, as an artist, I would consider myself a painter. So when I was creating this piece, I was view viewing it through uh, the lens of painting. So although it is crocheted, when I look at it, it feels more painterly to me than, say, a blanket or a sweater. Uh, I did not count my stitches, as you can probably tell. And I allowed imperfections to remain. The yarn, of course, reacted by warping and stretching. And I found the yarn's response to be similar to paint in that way. And when you, so like when you let your materials be what they are, they create unexpected anomalies. And I think that's what gives this piece that painterly feel. Uh, the colors are quite vibrant and some are opposing. 
when I was deciding what colors I wanted to use, I thought of my oldest sister. And if I were her, what colors would I choose? And of course, that had to be some sort of multicolored yarn and purples and yellows. And after arranging the sections of yarn together, I had an exciting realization that I also use these colors all the time in my work. And this looked exactly like something I would have chosen on my own. And so I had discovered my sister and I had a similar eye for color. And this made me feel closer to her. This is actually some of her work behind me. So she gets a little feature. Uh, so all in all, Roads and Rows Rose was a very enjoyable piece for me to make. And it's really meant to memorialize a shared experience with people who are important to me, as well as the paths or roads that I shared with those people. So thank you so much for this opportunity. Uh, to share it with you guys. Thank you. Thank you, Berkeley. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Next up, we have the essay by Aislinn Collier. Go ahead, Aislinn, when you're ready. All right. Thanks. So I wrote this piece um, to help process a mental health diagnosis um, and kind of wrestling with the choice, a choice that I made that seemed connected. Um to the diagnosis. So I'll just read a couple paragraphs. Um, and it's helpful to know that I am a psychiatric nurse practitioner. And so I knew um, kind of exactly what was happening to me. So Lexapro hadn't been working for a month. The tendrils of depression still curled in the corners of my mind. At work, I'd watch the clock make awkward and st- stilted small talk with my patients, count down the hours until I could do nothing. At home, I'd struggle to join my daughter's imaginary legal world, my signed figurines stationary in my hands, silence filling my part of the dialogue. At bedtime, I felt suffocated by laundry, toys, and dishes. My veins felt like they were filled with lead, and I couldn't move off the couch to make a dent in any task. I wanted to change my meds. At my appointment with my prescriber, they suggested Prozac. The hardback chair was as uncomfortable as I was. I knew I had to make a choice. I needed the bandwidth for imaginary Lego play with Ladybug, my daughter, to be able to comfort a crying teenage patient and to not feel fury if I missed a dose. A voice trained by 30 years in a high-demand religion niggled in the back of my head. What's the right decision? Would I get worse if I changed prescriptions? There's always a right and wrong choice, right? Thank you so much. Thank you. I like touched on that in the um, letter from the editor, our high demand religion. What's the right choice? Thank you. Excited for everyone to get to read it. Thank you for sharing this personal essay. Um, This piece is paired with another um, essay, the writer wasn't able to be here tonight but um Michaela we're ready when you are or do you prefer is it Michaela or Michaela sorry if I mispronounced um it's Mylika I'm so sorry I got my K and I'll mix up Mylika oh no you're fine thank Everyone you Mylika I'm so sorry Mylika welcome um, we love this piece I'm glad um this piece was made it's actually called advice cloud and there was a audio uh aspect to it Um, It was two mothers discussing the loss of their children and kind of how they survived. And a lot of it was, um, I don't know, it goes as advice goes. It ranges um, about like buying the right eye cream to stop the salt from causing wrinkles around your eyes or um, 
how it comes in waves or coping with the death of one child when you have another child waiting for you. Um, uh, so that was about, it's probably about two and a half hours worth of audio that just repeat, but the cloud was really supposed to be about, it's a advice. Everyone goes through the death of a child and, uh, the advice kind of mirrors back on itself. It's not exactly going to fit everyone. It's not exactly what happened to them. You know, I have a friend who her baby passed in almost the exact same way that mine did, but it just wasn't the same. You know, like she was full of rage and I was so devastated and like just trying to fix it by charity and art and um so it's supposed to be it's all the same grief but it isn't sort of thing that's all thank you so much Malika and Rachel put this in the chat but if you um, want to share the audio with us we can put it in the digital issue which would be really powerful to include oh I I didn't know you guys had a digital issue. Um, would you like me to just email it? Yeah, if you want to email, yeah, email if it's it like a link. Or, mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's, it's long. Put a QR code um, in the print issue because this oh, that good feels idea. like a really important part of this installation. So thank you so okay. much, Malika. I will send that over. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, Malika. Okay, next up we have the essay by, essay by Heather Sundahl. So Heather, when you're ready, go ahead. Okay, um, the story behind this essay um, is that I was at the um, Midwest Pilgrims and Rachel, our Rachel, was the keynote and she was giving a workshop on braided essays. And she talked about how there's these certain formats. And and so she had us do one. She said, okay, first paragraph is unrequited love. Second paragraph is a strange weather phenomenon. And then the third paragraph is a fairy tale. And so she had us do this. And I just wrote furiously, furiously. And um, I knew there was something there, but it wasn't quite there. And then, I don't know, whenever you sent out your call for essays, I thought, oh, like I'm one of those exponent people that like, I'm always afraid people aren't going to send in essays and the editors are going to be sad. And so it's, you know, I try to make people feel better. So I texted Rachel and I'm like, look, I have this essay. It's super rough. I'm going to send it to you. And if it's, if it's awful, nobody's mad, just ignore it. And so I had written it out on paper. So I talk texted it into a note in my phone and then send it to Rachel. (laughs) And then the next thing I know, it's, it's been given to the reviewers in that format. And so (laughs) I'm reading my essay and someone's like, um, I think this is a typo here. And this essay would be greatly improved if it had paragraphs and somebody did some light editing. It was like one of those moments where I was like laughing so hard where somehow my doodle got entered into the John Singer Sargent portrait contest. So I worked really hard to make it not suck anymore. Um, and so I'll, I'll read, um, a few short, three short paragraphs of, of the, the various things. I I think I start here with, um, with weather. I never figured out what happened that day in Southern Shandong. I don't know if the black fog was normal or freak of nature. Sometimes we never get answers. 
shrug our shoulders and act as if everything is fine, even if we are dying on the inside. Earlier, when driving there, our van bumped over something in the road. I craned my neck to see what we hit. It was a body. How had I not seen it coming? The car behind us swerved around it. No one stopped. White Snake rescues Little Green, who in turn helps her friend find love. Over the years and in various forms, lovers, villains, children, and religious devotion come and go, but the snake women's attachment to each other remains constant and does not veer. Who would have thought a thousand-year-old story could pass the Bechdel test? I never saw Kevin after that. I went back to college, got married, lived in China, had babies. Last year, my youngest bought me a vinyl 45 of that magic song. Sometimes when I put it on the turntable, it skips and catches in places, just like my heart. Thank you, Heather. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for sharing your journey. We accept writers of all all stripes. <laughs> now, despite the self-deprecation, we always <laughs> contest that you have to decline many pieces. So you got in fair and square. <laughs> <laughs> and apologies for actually clicking, but this is the art paired with it. <laughs> Made to be noticed. So, Annie, when you're ready, go ahead. There we go. Can you hear me? Yes. yes. I had to move because my children are loud. <laughs> um, this is a piece I did called Made to be Noticed. And I have kind of a shoe problem. I love shoes. Um, and I don't like just, you know, like I don't have like just a dozen black shoes. All of my shoes are very different and unique. And, um, I, I like them because they always fit, you know, whether I am pregnant and have gained 30 pounds or not. And, um, I did a whole series of shoes, but this one I titled made to be noticed because I feel like the red is so distinctive and the shape is so distinctive. And, um, when I wear them, I feel like they they are who they are they're not trying to be anything else they're not trying to fit in they're not trying to um you know be uh they're not trying to be like anything else they are who they are and they're made to be noticed they are they are made to take up space and um i think I mean, there are occasions, like, I'm probably not going to wear these to a funeral, but <laughs> there are times where my shoes need to grab attention, where the things I do, yes, need to take up space. That's just what I was going to say. They're made to take up space. Like, there are times that I need to own my space. And when I need that, I wear shoes like this because it sends the message that I am who I am and I'm here and I it's okay to, it's okay to be noticed. I don't need to blend in. I'm not part of the choir in this moment. I am the soloist and I am made to stand out. Thank you. Thank you, Annie. I think we've all felt those times. Um, my apologies right now, Lorraine, Jeffrey, I forgot to make a slide for you. I'm sorry. Um, we'd love to have your three minutes. Can you hear me? We can hear you. Please go ahead. Again, my apologies. I didn't know if my microphone quit also. Oh, yes. My essay is an adoption story, and although all adoption stories are different, 
Two things stand out in mind. First was the promise and my patriarchal blessing that I would bring forth my children in joy and thanksgiving for the great privilege that was mine. When it became apparent that I might not be able to give birth to children, we prayed about whether we should wait upon the Lord, as we had sometimes been encouraged to do, or pursue another path. Maybe my impatient personality influenced my prayers, but we made the choice to adopt. And after our first adoption, we quickly adopted seven more children of various nationalities and cultures. The second difference in our adoption story is that years later, I did have two biological sons and learned some things there too. Before giving birth, sometimes people would say, well, you love your adopted children, but they're not the same as if they were biological. I was sure that wasn't true. But when I said as much, the person speaking would just look at me as if to say, well, you really don't know, do you? After 15 years and eight adopted children, I finally got pregnant. After my delivery, as I held my new baby boy in my arms, my heart swelled with the same love that I had experienced when I first held my adopted children. It wasn't any different. And finally, I knew. I've sometimes wondered what our lives would have been like if we had simply waited the long years until our biological sons were born. I will never know, but I'm so grateful that we didn't since our adopted children have taught me things that our biological children never could and have greatly stretched my capacity to love. Thank you. Sorry, I was typing. I was like, oh, I love this line. I don't want to lose it. Thank you so much, Lorraine. Such a beautiful story. And thank you for all the children you've welcomed into your home. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, next up we have Madison. Um, Is Isa Saga. Let's go ahead when you're ready, Madison. Madison, are you here? Are you muted? Okay, I'm not seeing Madison. If she joins later, we'll we'll invite her. Okay. Um, this is the art paired with Madison's, and this is Savannah, who's in Australia. She said she might be able to come, might not. Let's see if she's here in the... Okay, no. She's like, maybe, but I'm in Australia. This is the piece paired with it. Okay, next up we have the essay by um, Lauren Palmer Merrill. So go ahead, Lauren, when you're ready. Thanks. I I'm sad that I didn't have a little bit more time to take deep breaths and prepare, because um, this is vulnerable and personal and tough. So um, when I was preparing and thinking about how I wanted to start my remarks, I almost thought it would be funny to start out with, hi, I'm Lauren and I'm an alcoholic. Um, and the reason for that is that my struggles with alcohol are a large context of the personal essay that I submitted, but they aren't what it's about. And what it's about is um, a road not taken, which is obviously the theme of the issue. So the roads not taken involve releasing guilt and ending moral and psychological self-flagellation and letting go of all the roads that I didn't take and the roads that I felt over my lifetime that I should have taken and coming to peace with the roads that I did take. So a little bit of a different spin on things. I think a lot of us in this room and 
across rooms in America could relate to the feeling of women in general, but especially LDS women engage in a lot of behavioral relativism. We're looking at how we should be relative to how we're expected to be or how we're behaving relative to the women around us or the women in our families or anything like that. So I don't want to dive too much into the meat of the piece because I wanted to leave it for your reading eyes, but I thought I would uh, read a little bit of my conclusion at the end. So um, to give a little bit of context is that in this period of sobriety that I'm in, I've also been in therapy for a few years, shout out to therapy. And I feel like this is the most productive and um, intentional period of healing and sobriety that I've ever had. And so um, here's a little excerpt of my piece for that context. Um, being in this period where I'm engaged in self-healing has finally helped me realize that the traumas that I've struggled to cope with, the short straws I've been dealt, and the wrong choices I've made can't be changed and actually shouldn't be lamented. They are cumulative forks and pitfalls in my winding journey and have led me to where I am. I can recognize that who I am now is complex and beautiful. I accept that missteps along the way aren't debits on a cosmic balance sheet, rather the data points that I can use to formulate my best life. So, you know, be gentle with me in your minds when you're reading it, but thank you for having me. Thank you. So many beautiful, beautiful lines. We were all like furiously typing. Thank you, Lauren, this personal piece. Thank you. Thank you. Um, next up, we have Pilgrimage by Janessa Margaret Ransom. So go ahead, Janessa, when you're ready. Okay. <clears throat> Thank you so much. This has all just been so beautiful. I'm feeling kind of emotional after just hearing all these beautiful poems and stories and artwork. So I hope I can keep it together. But thank you to everyone who's shared. Um, this essay comes from um, a study abroad that I did this year. I'm in a master's program in um, creative writing. It's through Leslie University in Cambridge, Massachusetts. It's a low residency program. So I live in Alpine, Utah, but I've been able to go out to Boston twice a year during this program for my residencies. And then in May, I was able to go to Wales for this study abroad. And it was an incredible experience. And when I saw the um, call for submissions around the road not taken, I immediately thought of um, this term, this idea that we talked about a lot in that study abroad. And it's a Welsh term, and it's called hiraith. And it really encapsulates the idea of paths that you can't return to that you have to leave behind the sense of kind of loss that comes with that. Um, it's a beautiful term and it was really fun to explore that, but um, I'm just going to jump right in. The essay is pretty self-explanatory. So I'll just start pilgrimage. My first morning in Wales, I sat at a long table and looked around at a circle of unfamiliar, but amicable faces. We would be classmates for the next 12 days on an adventure through Southern Wales as part of the Dylan Thomas Summer School at the University of Wales, Trinity St. David. We smiled tentatively at each other as we inspected the wall-to-wall -wall bookshelves that framed our small classroom. The tall windows gave us a view of Lampeter's surrounding hillsides and its primary inhabitants, fleecy white sheep. Our program director, Pamela Petro, arrived in a burst of enthusiasm and grace, carrying a plate of Welsh cakes from a local bakery. 
She passed them around the table and urged us to try them as she began her introduction to our course. I took one of the flat round cakes dotted with red currants and took a bite. It was dense and buttery like a scone, but crisp on the edges like a pancake. I clumsily wiped the crumbs from my lap as Pamela drew our attention to a passage from the book The Old Ways, A Journey on Foot by Robert McFarlane. She challenged us to spend our time in Wales pondering McFarlane's two questions. Firstly, what do I know when I am in this place that I can know nowhere else? And then, vainly, what does this place know of me that I cannot know of myself? I had spent the last two weeks listening to an audio recording of the complete works of Dylan Thomas. I'd used my 10-hour plane ride to study the old bards of Wales. I was expecting academic investigation from my time here, not personal introspection. I stared into my cooling cup of tea, unsure of how to proceed. I was in the middle of a faith transition, brought on by my children's decision to leave the church of my childhood, and by my own growing awareness of the pain they had endured within its walls. I couldn't stay and take part in something that continued to harm them, but pulling away was creating so much confusion. It had caused a seismic shift in my marriage, torn a schism in my own sense of self. Every night, I stared into the dark as an overwhelming feeling of dread pressed down on my chest, smothering me. I wanted to push all of that down below the Welsh dirt and bury it deep, not lift it up to the soft light and examine it. But here was Pamela, challenging me to do just that. And here was the bucolic countryside of Wales, waiting to shape my ways of knowing. I was not prepared. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Nasa. Thank you. Thank you. We have one more essay and one more um, piece of art, and then we'll do our summary. Um, our next essay is Barrel Racing, first place essay by Amanda Erdman. So go ahead, Amanda, when you're ready. Hi, um, I, this is sort of like my midlife ennui essay, I guess. Um, I started it in July, sorry, June of like 2021. And I was kind of just trying to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I told that to my sister and she said, well, of course you're having a hard time figuring that out because nobody ever asked you what you wanted to be when you were growing up. Like it actually mattered. Um, and to the point, to the extent that my dad on my wedding day gave me a letter that said, you know, your mother, you should look to the example of your mother. She could have been so many things. And she would say that if she had done anything else but raise her children, she would have been selling her birthright for a mess of pottage. So those words just kind of stayed with me for many, many years. Um, and, and this was my attempt to honor my mother's legacy of sacrifice and love for us while still uh, sort of trying to separate myself a little bit from that, um, from, from her path, I guess. Um, so I'm just going to read one, one paragraph. Um, this is uh, the opening scene of the essay when I was pregnant with my first child and we were all at a family reunion at a dude ranch. Several days we spent horseback riding at the ranch. We rode horses who ambled slowly, following the leaders, never swerving from the path they set. One day, they set up barrels for us to try and race around. The horses could tell, of course, that none of us knew what we were doing and ignored our instructions. But then my mother, who had in her earlier years been a rodeo princess, took a turn. She hopped on her horse, kicked in her heels, and bent low over the saddle. Her eyes narrowed as she zeroed in on the barrels and the horse gathered speed. Together, they knew how to take the barrels, turning at just the right moment, my mother's hair and the horse's mane blowing back in the wind they created. I had never seen my mother ride a horse like that before, never seen that expression on her face, 
focus and expertise and joy. I saw my mother untethered from expectation, from guilt, from obligation, from self-doubt. The moment passed, she slid off the horse, patted him down, and the spell was broken. The worries about whether we were all getting along or were eating too much or too little or had too much or little to do returned, and she became my mother again, whom I loved and took advantage of and never saw as existing independent of mothering me. The end. Thank you. Thank you so much, Amanda, and congratulations. Thank you. Um, This is the art that's paired with your piece. Um, I don't know if Julie is here. I just looked in the participants. I'm not seeing her. Um, yeah. So Julia Blake, um, and we, yeah. Okay. Sorry, Julia, if you randomly come on, please. Uh, thank you so much, everyone. We'll open up for Q and A in just a minute. We just wanted to say thank you to those who, um, accepted their honorariums. This is a thing we've been doing the last couple of years is, um, paying writers and artists for their work in the magazine. Um, a few people chose to give their, um, chose to donate their honorarium. $480 went did back went to back pay to the editors who donated their stipends. $100 went to scholarships for BIPOC artists and writers. And $40 went to needs-based LGBTQ and or BIPOC scholarships for the retreat. So thank you so much for those who, who went that. But we also acknowledge and honor those who accepted the honorarium. Congratulations. Um, subscribe. This is a great way to help our magazine um, continue to thrive and support and not have ads and not get funding from weird people, but from our readers. So thank you. Thank you. If you subscribe by January 15th, that's when you'll be able to um, get the, our next print issue. Um, and then you'll, so $35 a year and you get print and digital or $12 for the digital. And you'll get access to all the, the past copies as well. Um, join the conversation on Patreon if you want to sit, um, help that way. Um, different ways to stay connected, um, subscribe to our newsletter, read and comment on the blog, celebrate our 50th anniversary, more to come. Uh, Exponent 2 is celebrating our 50th birthday, uh, so we're really excited. So look for that for our next issue and um, a few different things happening around that, including the retreat in the fall. People want to come to the retreat. So thank you, thank you. If there's any questions, I'll stay on for a few more minutes, but those who need to go, goodbye. Thank you, thank you. Um, Rosie. After launch party concludes, we'll be announcing the issue in the cover on Instagram. Um, please reshare and promote this issue. Thank you. Yeah, that's another way to help people know about the issue. Um, subscribe by January 15th because this is the best way to help our organization. We're also a nonprofit. If people are like, I have all this money I want to give you, it's, it can be a tax write-off. Any questions for writers and artists? I will stop sharing so that we can see each other's faces more. Um, I can stay on for a few more minutes. Chanel, I know you like raised your hand earlier. T- uh, did you still have a question? I know it was a while ago. That was my six-year-old raising. Uh-huh. Okay. I was like, it was at a strange time. Maybe it was an accident. About that. Not too la- you know, you're fine. It is not too late to record a piece for the digital issue. So yeah. So that's another thing that we were like, wait, this could be a really cool way is do an audio recording, send it to us, and then we can uh, or upload it to that folder um, in our Google Drive. And then we can attach that to make it more accessible, but also have that cool pairing of this is the author reading their piece. Any other questions? Thank you. I just want to acknowledge too that Lori LeVar Pierce is on the call, who's our Exponent 2 board president. Andy Bowden is on the call, who's in charge of the retreat um, and has for the last couple of years. So thank you for your work there, Andy. So happy to talk about um, Exponent as an organization, people have questions, or if people want to talk to each other about um, specific questions or make connections, or if you need to go, have a great evening. Happy New Year.
Thank you. Thank Janine you. Thank you. Also oh, is Janine on. here? Janine is our treasurer. She has cleaned things up. We are a legal law-abiding entity. It is hard to do that sometimes as a nonprofit run by volunteers. So thank you. Thank you for what you're doing, Janine. Yeah. And congrats again to Dana and to Amanda for our winning pieces. And thank you everyone for who submitted and such vulnerable essays. That was such a beautiful part because it's easy to be. And it was so fun hearing the backstory of like, actually that, that, that poem was a joke when people took it, took it real. So thank you. Other ways of being and making peace with the past. Oh, Holly, thanks for being here tonight. Yeah, it's fun that people from past issues um, join tonight because the launch party is for anyone who wants to come. So if you want to come to our next one, you might get an invite. Happy New Year. Um, another fun fact, our, our other art editor is having a baby soon. And so we're laughing that the last couple launch parties have been around other babies. So last January, I was about to have my baby. The last launch party, Rosie had her, was about to have her baby. So we're just... Babyville over in the magazine staff. Times of life. Thank you. Thank you. So Dana, yeah, your piece about babies. Thank you, baby. I love what you said about their eyes. Cause that like blue glacier, like, Oh, so many beautiful can, vivid details. Can we promote volunteering on the magazine as a fertility aid? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for being here. Oh, and Heather, Heather's our historian. Um, I sh yeah, 50th, uh, she and Katie Rich are working on a book that is with signature books about the Exponent 2 50th anniversary, uh, 50 years of Exponent. So thank you for all the work you've done there as our historian and as a previous editor. Thank you. Thank you. All right. I'm going to end it unless anyone wants to not hear me. Anymore. Okay. Good night. Happy New Year. Thank you for all you do. Bye.